0: Hey everybody! Good to be here. You're doing well. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what crowd is um, more excited, the nine or you know, ten, or what is it, nine o'clock? Yeah, ten fifteen. Yeah. Like, did you sleep in to have more energy, or did you sleep in because you had less energy? What's the what's the deal? <laughs> Uh, I love being here. It's really a pleasure to be here. I love this church. I love what you guys are about. Uh, I've been able to do some things with Evangel in the past, and I'll, I always love coming to Montreal. In the city. coming to Montreal, I live in Montreal. I live on the island. I'm not far. I don't know what what this whole like we live in the farmland this thing is like, but I helicoptered in uh, to the the pad on top of this big building. But um, just joking. Took a car, drove like everybody else. But. I love coming in because uh, coming on the 20, you know, just seeing St. Henry, seeing the rooftops, getting a sense of the city, uh, it's just one of my f- most favorite things to do. My wife and I are different in terms of vacation. She would love to go and do nothing for a week, and I would love to take in a new city for a week, and I just get life from it. And so I get even more life from our own city. Uh, so I love that. Appreciate this place and this church and even the leadership here and what you guys are doing. I'm excited about your new building. I mean, I won't use it much, but I'm excited about your new building. I I think it's going to be an awesome uh thing uh, and especially because you guys are so central in the city i i just get the sense um this next season and these new resources are going to be a huge blessing not only to you but to so many people around here so be blessed by that um Thanks for having me come and share in this series. Uh, I I personally enjoy walking through books of the Bible, and uh, we teeter-totter at at our church, Westside, between sometimes walking through a book and sometimes going through some topical uh, themes. And um, Mark is a really cool book because um, you get a chance to really get to know Jesus uh, in a real fresh way. But here's a question for you, all right? First question. You ever get this question from somebody? Why are you so surprised? Did someone ever tell you that? Why are you so surprised? Like John, John was talking about February. So in February, if someone said, man, it feels so dark and cold. And your buddy says, well, it's February. That's why it's dark and cold. Why are you so surprised? Uh, today's hot and humid. And you might be complaining and saying, it's so hot. And someone says, well, it's July. That's why, why are you so surprised, you know? And I'm not sure if you've ever walked out into the rain or, uh, you know, and then you complain about it and say, I walked in the rain yesterday and I came in soaked. And you're like, well, that's what happens when you walk in the rain, right? So we're standing in a building where the Canadians played and probably won more of their cups here than they did at the Bell Centre. Um, but we have this expectations that Canadians will make it to the playoffs and we're not so surprised. But then we get surprised when they choke, I, you know. And anyways, I don't want to cause enemies here. I'm sorry about that. Here's, here's the deal. There are certain things that surprise us that shouldn't. It's like we know them. We know that they're coming. We know the truth about it. And yet they surprise us. And I think what we're going to hit in Mark today is this moment of clarity for the disciples in their journey discovering who Jesus is. And we're going to land on a passage that's kind of like a reality check for the disciples. And I believe Mark included it in the way he wrote it for a reality check for his, for his readers and those would, who would soon to come to discover Jesus. And Mark asks, this question, not literally, but I think he asked this question about the disciples. Like, why are you so surprised? Why are you so surprised? Um, and we're going to read in Mark chapter 6, verse 45 to 56. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to it. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen. I was amazed. You know, I do PowerPoint and screen stuff for our church, uh, for my messages, and I kind of know the font size. And then when I walked in here and I gave it to them, I thought, it's the whole screen. Wall, Like the whole wall is the words. It's just crazy. Anyways, that was kind of fun. Um, So just as we read this, Mark peels away in this passage, I think, um, something that's going on in the disciples' heart and really uh, helps us uh, get a glimpse of where they are at in their understanding of Jesus. So let's read it together. Mark chapter 6. Immediately... Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but... When they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out, because all they saw him, all of them saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. And when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. And as soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Let's just pause and pray. Father, we we celebrate um, your love and your grace in our lives today. we got a chance to celebrate in worship, in song, in conversation, uh, who you are, what you're doing in our lives. And we pause in this moment just to welcome um, the work of your spirit as we read your word. You just um, captivate our hearts, captivate our minds, regardless of um, where we are on a spiritual journey, including myself. I just... I pray that you would just intersect our hearts and minds. Help us see you in fresh light. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is, a, I think, a shifting point in Mark's gospel. You know, it comes to the end of this schedule of miracles, just one miracle after another from chapter, the end of chapter five into chapter six. And we find ourselves at the end of a crazy schedule of just crazy things happening that Jesus is doing. And Jesus' disciples, they're traveling with him, right? They're going from place to place. They're seeing all this happen. And they're seeing and hearing the incredible work of Jesus. Like it's right in front of their eyes, And they're blasted with the adventure of what Jesus is up to. Like even in this passage, Mark uses the word immediately. And maybe you've caught this in this series already that in the first couple of chapters and even throughout the book, Mark loves to use this word immediately because I think part of his heart is just so excited about who Jesus is and what he's about and what he's doing and and what's happening and how people are responding to him that he's he's writing this fast-paced story of Jesus to help us understand who he is and how powerful he is is and we get this even as he uses the word here again you got to just catch the context and i think last week you walked through the passage previous there was jesus and his disciples just are coming away from a huge crowd thousands of people are with them and among them and jesus needs to get away so he tells his disciples you go off to the other side of the lake that's our next appointment i'm going to dismiss the crowd and then jesus pauses goes off to a mountainside takes some time to be alone some time to pray in solitude. He gets to this quiet place on a mountainside to spend some significant time with his father so he'd be refueled and replenished. Uh, Jesus often does this after a time of chaos or a time of ministry or even a time of crisis. Maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you can relate to moments where, oh my goodness, I just had this crazy day, this crazy week, this crazy season, and I need to pause and be in solitude i need to be replenished that's part of what jesus is doing here and he notices his disciples after this time it's still late into the evening he notices his disciples are still in the middle of the lake it's only a three or four mile journey at most across that part of the lake but they're still working at it It, it's windy uh the winds are rough and it's like they're just you know they're just not making headway And Jesus sees them struggle. The funny thing is, he only goes out to see them later, like almost the next morning. He sees them at night, but it says before dawn, he walks out to them. So I don't know what Jesus is up to, if he's trying to set up this moment, if he's trying to, you know, let them kind of linger a little bit and get get restless or frustrated or a little bit more scared, who knows. But he finally decides to cross the lake. And what happens next is fascinating, but Mark kind of just tells us, Mark kind of just just lays it out really bluntly. He says, shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. That's, I mean, imagine someone just told you that, you know, I would say, hey, by the way, yesterday I jumped off the building and I jumped to the other building and then I had lunch. It'd be like, uh, wh- what did you just do? <laughs> and so you'd think Mark would kind of build it up like a crazy story, you know, as Jesus' foot touched the water, it didn't move. And his next step was, You know, and then the music kind of comes in, and uh, he doesn't do that. He just, shortly after dawn, you know, Jesus just walks on the water. But three amazing things take place. First thing, Jesus walks on water. That's pretty crazy. He walks on water. Second thing is, the wind does not affect him. I mean, the disciples should have been a short journey. They're still somewhere in the middle of the lake, and they're just straining, rowing this boat. Jesus, it says he walks, he's going to pass them as he walks. So he's kind of just walking normally, and they're straining to row this boat. So it seems like the winds don't even affect Jesus. That's pretty cool. And then it tells us that the disciples were amazed because... Jesus stops, talks to them, tells them not to be afraid, steps into their boat, and immediately as he steps into their boat, the winds calm down. So he walks on water, the winds don't affect him, and then he controls or has command over the wind. It seems like for this brief moment, Jesus is functioning in two dimensions. It's like he's functioning in his own normal human self, but then none of the limits that the disciples face affect him. None of them affect him at all. And then we land on this verse, verse 51 and 52, or the second half of 51. And I think it's one of the key verses here. You know, some people will pause and and love to just hover around the words of Jesus. You know, Jesus says, take heart, it's I, um, be courageous, don't worry, right? Don't be afraid. And obviously they're very important. But I, I have this sense that this phrase at the end of 51 and 52 is really significant. And it says this, they were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. It's like Mark paints this picture a little negatively. It's just, he, he, the way he writes it, he, he's kind of telling us like they were amazed. How silly. He kind of is bringing up this question. They were amazed, like, why are you so surprised? Like, just helping us get a glimpse of of what he's thinking here. A couple of months ago, it was in the winter. I had this goal to, like, increase the amount of push-ups I can do a day. So um, I thought one evening, I said, I'm going to do some push-ups, but I'm going to do them in front of my wife. I wanted to impress her. And um, (laughs) she wasn't that impressed. But I, I tried to impress her. And so I think that night, I think I was hitting, like, 30 push-ups or something, you know? Now, I know some of you guys or girls in here thinking like, I do 50, you're such a loser, right? Or maybe you only do 10, and I feel really superior to you right now. But um, the, po- the point is this. As, as I do these push-ups, I look over, and I kind of see this, this uh, like look of awe on my wife. And at first I was happy, but then I thought, then I started to get disappointed and a little bit insulted because I started to think, why is she so surprised? Like, what, why was she so surprised that I, I hit 30? Like, did she think I'm a 20 push-up guy? Did she think I'm a 5 or 10 push-up guy? And so here, here's the thing. Here's the point I really think Mark is trying to make here as he's telling us this story. The disciples were surprised because they didn't understand the fullness of who Jesus was. They didn't understand the fullness. They underestimated him. He tells us they were amazed because they didn't understand what happened earlier that day with the loaves. Just the story previous, Jesus gets five loaves and two fish and there's thousands of people and they're hungry, right? And his disciples says, well, why don't you just dismiss them to go to the marketplaces, go home, get some food and come back. Jesus says, no, we're going to feed them all. And they pray, he prays, and the food just keeps coming. Thousands of people get fed from a handful of food. And Mark says they were amazed because they didn't understand what just happened. And, and, and I, as I was reflecting on that, I had this sense there's this human capacity that we all have in common, regardless if you believe in Jesus or not, there's this human capacity to often miss the point. And I think there's this capacity in many of us, believers or not, to miss the capacity of Jesus, to miss the capacity of Jesus. The disciples were in the middle of a multitude of great moments. They come to the end of a schedule of miracles and they missed who Jesus really was. They missed his fullness. About 20 21 years ago I was dating my wife and I've been married almost 18 years. And I love my wife. Her name is Franca. She couldn't be here this morning, but she's just a wonderful person. I'd love for you guys to meet her. But back 20 or 21 years ago, I, I would say I was casually dating my wife. It was It's not a good label. Like, don't ever want to even want that label. There's that typical uncommitted guy phrase. Does anybody know that typical uncommitted guy phrase? It's not a good phase. It's not a good thing. But I remember thinking, and I had these opportunities in front of me, ideas, what am I going to do with my life, all this kind of stuff. And and I was just thinking about this relationship, and I was talking to my twin brother, who Jonathan mentioned, actually. And his name is Jonathan, my twin brother. And, and I remember him telling me, Dave, what's your problem? What don't you, what don't you see in Franca that you already that you know about her? Like, what don't you see in her that you think is missing? Or what do you think is missing? And, and I remember just that, that, that question was like this reality check to me that made me realize this has nothing to do with her. It has everything to do with me. I lacked the capacity to recognize what was right in front of me. I lacked the capacity to understand that the things that I believed already to be true of her, how great she was, how, what a wonderful person she was, how beautiful she was, her heart, her character, I already knew that, but there was, for some reason, I was missing it in that moment. Yeah, I don't think Mark wrote this part of the story, just to tell us that Jesus walked on water. I mean, it's important, it's cool, it happened, it's amazing, but I I really think that this slice of the scene of Jesus or his life is to force his readers or to force us as readers of this to really consider our own capacity to miss Jesus. To really stop and reflect and say, what about my capacity to miss who Jesus is? Have I missed something about him? Have I understood his fullness? And then Mark describes the disciples' reaction with this sobering description. And he says, their hearts were hard. Their hearts were hard. There's something about their reaction to this incredible moment that indicated to Mark that their hearts were hard in that moment. I mean, that's hard to think, hard to understand. Why, how could somebody's heart be hard in a moment of a miracle? How could someone's heart be far away from reality in, a, in the moment of miraculous? And yet that's exactly how Mark paints the picture of the disciples in that moment. And really, that's the problem with a hard heart. You tend to miss things when your heart is hard. You know, it's, it's not necessarily that their heart was sinful, or rebellious, or angry, or lost. It, it's true that our hearts can be sinful. The scripture says that our heart is deceitful above all things. The scripture says that all of us are sinners. And all of us, in a way, miss sin. God's purpose is when we just leave it up to ourselves. It's possible that a hard heart can be sinful, rebellious, angry, and other things. But I think sometimes it's just the human default in you and me, and I can relate to this, that we just sometimes miss exactly what's right in front of us. We just miss the point. We miss the reality because our hearts are not open to seeing it just yet. We do that with relationships, we do that with opportunities. We can do that with beauty. How many times I'm driving my car and I tell my kids, guys, check that out. And they're like, uh, what, was, what was that? <laughs> I'm like, oh, you missed it. It was such a, and it was just, we just missed it. Sometimes our hearts are in such a state that we miss things. And I think the two things that disciples missed in that particular moment is this. They missed who Jesus was and they missed the mystery of Jesus as well. And I'll I'll say it this way. A hard heart can miss the Messiah. That's kind of the first thought. A hard heart can miss the Messiah. Because Mark's biggest question here is not can Jesus or can Jesus walk on water? Is not just when you're in a bind Jesus will come and help you and calm the storms. I think Mark's biggest question in this text is who is Jesus really? Who is Jesus really? Because the disciples had already seen the power of Jesus at work. It's the end of a schedule of miracles. I, they don't need to see more. They don't need to see more of what Jesus is capable of. In fact, they shouldn't have been surprised even at him walking on water. He's done all this stuff. It'd be like, oh, for sure. I, I figured you could do that. Right? Like in, in, in some way. So this is not just about Jesus being divine or powerful. It's about him being the Messiah. And that's important as you're reading Mark because Mark is trying to help his readers understand that God's purposes and plans are coming to fulfillment, that what he promised was happening, that his promised Messiah and anointed one, the ruler over all things was coming. And Jesus was that person. See, the Messiah was known as the anointed one, was known as the one who would rule over all things, that would be sovereign over the whole natural world, disease, bread and fish, the wind, the waters. In fact, one of the the messianic psalms in Psalms 93, and, and if you read Psalms 93 and 94 and 5 up to 100, they're pointing to God's kingdom. They're pointing to God's reality. They're pointing to the Messiah and his rule and reign. And listen to what, how he describes this in just a brief way. He says, verse 3, Psalm 93, The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord, is, the Lord on high is mighty. This description of the power of creation, but the Lord on high is mighty. That's the power of the Messiah. And I think the implication here is this, as the disciples are thinking about this, as we think about this, if Jesus is really ruler over all this stuff, then the question is, is he ruler over my heart? If Jesus is Lord over creation, is he Lord over me too? Will I let him be Lord over me? The next thing that the disciples miss is the mysterious. And I think a hard heart can miss the mysterious. And what I mean by this is not to kind of like put rationality or reason aside, but is to see that there's more to life than just sometimes what we really see. See, what happens on the lakes that night is more mysterious than a miracle. Jesus has the capacity to function in a dimension that we don't function in, that is hidden from us. I think C.S. Lewis helped us see this in story form. How many of you read the, you know, the, the Chronicles of Narnia or the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Or, some, or you, maybe you've seen the movies. And, and, they, and, and C.S. Lewis depicts this in such a beautiful way. And, and one of the figures in that is Aslan. He's the lion, and he's the Christ figure in, in, in Lewis's story. And as we start to discover Narnia in the world that, that is being described, we see Aslan as someone who functions in multiple dimensions. In fact, when, when the kids end up, leaving narnia he says listen you might come to know me in your world by another name because he's he's trying to let them know i i listen i function in multiple ways but i love what we see uh aslan do there's one moment when you know the 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 wicked witch have has just kind of made everything winter but aslan's presence brings spring and as he blows onto the seeds of the ground flowers bloom And some creatures who have been frozen in statue by the wickedness of the witch, as Aslan comes close and his breath just touches them, they come to life. There's this sense that Aslan has power to function in other dimensions. And it's amazing because I think what C.S. Lewis tries to do, he's one of the most smartest logical thinkers of the 20th century, yet what he's telling us is, make room for mystery. Make room for mystery. It doesn't mean that today, like, don't try and walk on the St. Lawrence today. <laughs> hey, I went to church, and I'm going to go try this. Anyways, don't blame me, all right? So that's not what it means, but it's, it's this, okay? Jesus comes announcing God's kingdom. He comes announcing the kingdom of heaven, and when we think about heaven, it's not a pla- just a place that people go to. It's God's very own space. You can read kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven in the gospels. It's the same thing. It's God's space. It's God's realm. And so what that means is that God exists in his realm as we exist in our realm. In, there's, there's these two spaces going on, heaven and earth. In fact, when Jesus says, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. What's he saying? He's saying, when you pray this prayer, you're saying, God, would you invade our space? Would your will and your purposes that exist all the time in your space, would you come and invade our space and make it real for us? And we, and we see this happen uh, throughout the New Testament, just like Jesus showed us when he walked on water, when he calmed the storms, when he raised the dead, when he rose himself from the dead, when he resurrected, when he ascended into heaven, his space. But it doesn't only happen in those outward, physical, miraculous type of ways. It happens when a heart that's far from him comes close. It happens when a marriage that feels like a freezer gets turned around and people, that couple lets God in. It happens when our fear is replaced with hope because Jesus floods our heart. It happens when Hatred turns to love and reconciliation. See, that's who Jesus is. That's who Mark is pointing to. That's who the disciples didn't fully comprehend that day. The God who is powerful in his dimension and in our dimension. And he can come and flood our hearts in a personal way. I remember... um, you know, there's a girl in in my church who um, came to faith about eight or nine years ago and she really, she was was very much um, um, angry toward God. And I remember, I don't know how this happened that one day a friend of hers at a party just started to tell her about Jesus and something just switched in her. And there was this moment where her heart got turned and her life got changed. And it was amazing to see that in an instance because then we could say, wow, look how God's space invaded our space. But then there's other times where it just takes months, years, and it doesn't feel as much as a miracle, but it truly is, because hearts change. So let me ask you a question. What do you do with hard hearts? What do you do with a hard heart? Maybe you're here today. Maybe you feel like you have a hard heart. Maybe you feel like the disciples in that boat, and if you were really honest, and you would say, this is a description of my heart today, you would say, my heart is hard. I've seen church, I've seen religious stuff, I've seen this stuff, and and but you know what? No, I don't know, I'm not I'm I'm indifferent. I, I I don't fully subscribe to the fullness of who Jesus is. And I want to tell you if that's where you're at today, even for a brief moment, even if it's a season, I want you to know that's what Mark tells us his disciples were like. They had hard hearts in that moment. We don't know the fullness of what was going on inside them, but we know the description. And maybe you've become too familiar with stuff that you've missed the beauty and the power of Jesus. But don't get discouraged if you have a hard heart today because it's a journey, it's a process. Don't be discouraged if your friends have a hard heart. Maybe there's one of your friends and you've, you're so praying that they come to know Jesus or maybe it's a family member or a coworker, and you've, you've just kind of said, you know what, I've, I've given up on them. I don't get it. Like, Why are their hearts so hard? Well, if the disciples didn't get it fully and they just saw all these miracles, why don't you think your friend might need a little bit more time? Don't you think your friend might need to continue the journey a little bit longer? If they were this close to Jesus, the disciples... Give your friends more room, more space, more grace to keep exploring. Give them that. And ultimately, it comes to this. All of us need a change of heart. It doesn't ju- it's not just a switch that says, I'm going to go hard, I'm going to go soft. It's a change of heart that's required. And we're so fortunate because that's exactly what Jesus does. Jesus changes hearts. Jesus changes hearts. It's so important to believe in Jesus, but you never fully live in him. You will never fully, and I will never fully come to the kind of abundant life that Jesus promises for us unless our hearts are changed. And that's why the cross is so vital. That's why Mark in his, in his gospel points us towards the cross, points us towards um, you know, what Jesus will eventually do. Jesus goes to the cross because our hearts are hard. Jesus went to the cross because my heart is hard, because your heart is hard, because our world's heart is hard, because our vision is blurred, because our understanding is limited. Jesus went to the cross and rose from the dead. And when we meet him at the cross, he changes us. When we meet him at that point, he changes us. And here's the beautiful news for you and for me. Jesus already made the first move. Jesus already went to the cross. Jesus already rose from the dead Jesus already sent his spirit to flood our hearts and point us back to him. And, and even on the water that day, right, when the disciples were afraid and nervous and, and scared, Jesus comes to them, and what does he say? He says, don't be afraid, it's me. And then what does he do? He steps into the boat, and he comes close. Jesus always makes that first move, but then we need to respond. We need to say, oh, Jesus, this is who you are. Jesus, you've come close. You've moved into our space. You've moved into our neighborhood. You've moved into our lives. He always comes close. Then we must respond. And so you can't just change a hard heart. Every hard heart needs to be healed, needs to be restored. And that's why I love the end of this story. They get to the other side of the lake, And people just flood Jesus and the disciples. They're looking for him. They know who he is. And what does it say? That they come close to him and all they're looking to do is just touch the edge of his clothes because they believe that if they can just touch him, then they will be whole, then they will be healed, then they will be restored. And I think that's part of what Mark is trying to invite us to, especially if we feel our hearts are hard. He says, just come close to Jesus. Come close and touch Jesus. Come close and discover who he is. Come close and put your faith in him, and you will discover that he can transform your hard heart into a heart that opens you up to see who he really is. You know, it's incredible. As we kind of come to a close here, I was thinking about this. The early church started to use this phrase uh, for anybody who would want to come to Jesus. It's really just three words. And the phrase was this Jesus is Lord. If there's one phrase, that is just pregnant with meaning, that describes to us what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus. It ha- it's, it's so, you know, like so many people want to make Christianity political or cultural or even moralistic or whatever, whatever we want to do. We all have our bents. But I, I'm so grateful that the early church, just in three words helped us understand the core beauty, power of the gospel, and what it means to respond and follow Jesus in those three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. In fact, Paul says in Romans, he says, yeah, you must believe in your heart, but he says you must proclaim with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and then you will be saved. It's fascinating to me because if you've read the Gospels, you know the other story version of Jesus walking on water. And that's the version where Peter says, hey, Jesus, can I walk on water too? And Jesus says, well, if you want to walk on water, get out of the boat, and Peter starts to walk, right? And that's, Matthew tells us that that glimpse of the story that Mark tends to leave out. And I was thinking about this, especially with today's thought. I was thinking, why why is it left out? And as I was reflecting on that, tradition tells us that Mark was the writer, but Peter was the content giver in this gospel, that Mark and Peter worked closely together. And Peter was the main eyewitness person of all these accounts, and Mark was the guy who's writing this stuff down. And, and I thought, well, I wonder if they had a conversation about this. I wonder if, as Mark is writing this and he's getting to this section, um, he's like, okay, Peter, what about, like, tell us, what, what happened, what about when you walked on water? And, and Peter says, uh, why don't you just leave that part out? And Mark, well, why do you want to leave that out? I mean, come on, Peter, you walked on water. Nobody's walked on water but Jesus. I think you should put it in. And I think Peter says, no, leave it out. Because the main part of this Scene is not about me. It's about Jesus. The main part of this this scene is not that I walked on water, even for those brief moments, is that we discovered as disciples that day that we had hard hearts and we missed who Jesus was in all of his fullness. And that day, that question came to us. Why are you so surprised? And something changed for us. So Mark, leave me out of this story. Just just let them know what was going on in our hearts. See, because whether Peter walked on water or not, even though we know he did, is not the point. It's that Jesus is Lord, that he is Messiah, that he is living within mysterious power and beauty and grace. And I think getting to the conclusion of this is what really changes your heart and mind, what really changes your life And my life is not the things that Jesus does for us, but it's coming to discover who Jesus really is. That Jesus is Lord. Where we come to this point where we say, oh yeah, I'm going to pray that prayer. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. In my life, as it is in heaven. In my space, as it is in your space. So if you just take a moment today, I'm going to just give you a chance to reflect on that. And maybe you've been just discovering who Jesus is. Um, and today you feel like, oh, I, I, I want to I wanna, I wanna see Jesus in all of his fullness. My invitation to you is, would you respond in faith and say, Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord? Maybe you have been following Christ for a while and you can even point back in your journal, Jesus healed me, Jesus touched me, Jesus changed me jesus provided for me but maybe nowhere in the journal of on paper on your heart have you ever said truly jesus is lord because that's what jesus asks of us right let's pause and i'll let you express that in your own words and then lead you in a brief prayer at first if you've just been discovering Jesus lately and you feel that prompting in your heart to respond in faith and call him Lord then would you pray with me in this moment maybe some of the words that I share might help you express what's going on in your heart today Jesus thank you for showing me this last little while more of who you are. Thank you for this church that has pointed me to you. Some friends that have demonstrated who you are. Thank you for the rumbling in my heart. God, I want more than just a miracle. I really want you I want to call you Lord today, Jesus. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And I know tomorrow I might stumble, but I will invite you and continually surrender so you can lead my life. I trust you. I trust you to forgive my sin, to transform my heart, But today I proclaim you are Lord. If that's you, then I just celebrate with you in this moment. Father, as we are just all of us here together, Lord, you love every single one of us. Thank you for each of our journeys. Thank you for each of our challenges and successes and the gifts that we have been able to look at and acknowledge that you are the great gift giver thank you for the learning god we thank you because we can be so real with you that we can just like we see in this story uh, if christ's first disciples had these moments of hardness or doubt or questions god we thank you that in our journey we can walk through these moments of clarity and we we tell you today, God, we invite you to just flood our hearts so we can see Jesus as he fully is. God, regardless of what you have done for us today, we want you to be Lord of everything. So we say, Jesus is Lord. Would we say that together? Jesus
1: is Lord. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Wasn't that great, friends? You know, I would encourage you as you leave this place in just a moment uh, that those words will linger into this week. You know, as you're facing decisions, as you're feeling challenged or pinched in life, Jesus is... Yeah, yeah. I love that phrase that Pastor David mentioned midway through his message. He talked about God invading our space. And so, friends, if there's a space between you and a spouse or... Somebody that's important in your life, if it's a workplace experience, if it's a financial or or whatever it might be in life, maybe it's your own selfishness. Maybe we're big enough to admit we've got a little bit of that going on. You know, inviting Jesus as Lord to invade that space. Boy, when He arrives with His power, with His strength, with His rule and reign, boy, that changes the scenario, doesn't it? So, friends, we're people of faith. And if you're in a journey with us and you're not sure where you stand and maybe you prayed that prayer with Pastor Dave for the first time, you know I'd invite you to uh, get meet one of our elders and invite the elders to be available at the front here immediately following our gathering or maybe you have a, a something on your heart you would like someone to be praying with you this morning. I'd invite you to come and find one of our elders. They'd love the opportunity just to pray with you or, or talk about the decision you made uh, to follow Jesus today. Uh, if you're our guest, Make sure you hit up the info desk on the way out. We've got a little gift we have for you. And, uh, you know, some of us have been journeying in this Market Up series, and we haven't mentioned it in a while. Uh, we have Market Up books that we have produced and printed, and we're giving them away free for any of you who want to follow along. Some of you might be guests, but you'll continue to follow along online. Go to the info desk, ask for a Market Up book, and they'll get that to you. Friends, we love you. May God's Spirit go with you. May his uh, presence fill you, and may he guide you this week. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. We love you. God bless you. See you next week.